Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. Thanks again for coming out, guys, on a snowy, cold, uh, just spring break right around the corner, busy time. So I appreciate you coming out. It's good to be together uh, to worship with you guys. And uh, we're going to look at the word and just really thankful uh, to see you all and be here with you. And, um, you know, RUF, one of the things, you know, we say often is that we're a community and we want to be a place where... Uh, not just uh, where we come once a week to worship and hear some teaching from the Bible, but uh, where we can be known and uh, have people to walk through life with and have people in your corner. And so we really want RUF to be that kind of community. And uh, so uh, bring your peeps if you want. You know, anybody's welcome at RUF. And uh, definitely uh, take hold of that vision with us of, you know, what if... uh, we could truly welcome people in and what if we could truly be known. So um, we, uh, another thing the RUF is about is the Bible. And so we look at the Bible in uh, small groups throughout the week and we look at the Bible every large group. And uh, we've been going through this series this semester, going just uh, going through the books of the Bible and picking a key text from each one to help make sense of our story, the story of our world, and make sense of life in this world. And uh, so we've done Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and tonight is Deuteronomy. And so it's the fifth book of what's called the Torah or the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible written by Moses. And uh, I've just loved uh, the opportunity to study these books uh, and share with you all. And uh, what you need to know about Deuteronomy as a background is that, like, it's the fifth book. So it's a recap in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, in Genesis, we saw God create a good world. And then we saw the God's people. He created Adam and Eve uh, turn on him. And there's co- drastic consequences to sin entering the world, which are that everything is all the everything that's good about our world is twisted a little bit or maybe a lot. And. Uh, yet God makes a promise at, uh, right at that moment to save the world, to save his world, the good world he created. And he commissions, uh, in spite of their sin, Adam and Eve and their uh, line, their posterity, uh, to carry forth his goodness into the world. And eventually he chooses his man, Abraham. And he starts a family and he says, I'm going to bring, I'm going to make you a nation and I'm going to bring you into the promised land and you will extend my kingdom into the world. And so uh, they go into slavery in Egypt and yet God rescues them miraculously through his man, Moses. And then uh, we saw how uh, God gave them good laws to live by uh, that showed who God was and who they were and how they can succeed in this mission. And Last week, we looked in numbers at a story of their rebellion uh, against him. And yet, uh, God continually meets his people with grace and with kindness. And so, um, that's where we've been. Now, this is kind of like, Deuteronomy is like restating. It's like, let's just recap everything that's happened. 
And let's lock in here before these people, God's people, enter the promised land after 40 years uh, wandering in the wilderness from Egypt. So let me read it for us. This is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Uh, Moses speaking to his people on behalf of God. Let me pull this up a little bit. He says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these things that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care, lest you forget the Lord, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now let me pray again. Uh, Heavenly Father, as we come now to your word, uh, we pray that you send your spirit to not just make sense of it in our minds, but apply it to our hearts. Uh, We come, many of us, weary tonight from a long semester, long week, whatever the case may be. And uh, we pray that uh, you would meet us in the midst of what we're dealing with, with your word, with your truth, and that your truth would set us free. Uh, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, This week I was reading about uh, a man named, he was an Army first First Sergeant Charles Monroe King. And uh, in, 2000, in December of 2005, uh, this man, Charles King, kissed his wife's belly and boarded a plane to Iraq. And inside his wife's belly was his son. And he had a year-long deployment in Iraq because there was still fighting going on in Iraq at that time. And right before he en- it ended, his deployment, he died in October of, 20- of 2006. Uh, when an IED detonated near his armored vehicle near Baghdad. And before he died, though, he completed a 200-page journal for his son that was to be born. Uh, I guess that was born at that time, a baby. And the journal had all kinds of things he wanted his son to know. He, He sensed that there was danger, and so he got to work making this long journal for his son. And everything he wanted his son to know, he put in the journal random thoughts, just all kinds of things. One passage reads, never be ashamed to cry. And another passage says, no man is too good to get on his knee and humble himself to God. All kinds of things like that. Now imagine being that kid, that baby is probably close to your age now. And imagine being that kid. You know, obviously it would be horrible to grow up 
without your father, right? But wouldn't it be great if that was the case to have 200 pages worth of your father telling you everything you needed to know uh, about life, everything he wanted you to know. It's all there. Uh, Deuteronomy, this book is like that. Uh, But instead, it's Moses uh, exhorting Israel on behalf of God right before Moses died. Moses is the greatest prophet, you know, that had ever lived. Uh, God's man, right before he dies, right before Israel is about to go on this final stage of this journey, the hardest part, into the promised land, um, to drive out the inhabitants and become a nation where God wanted them to be, this is what they get. They get Deuteronomy, this last book. And it's a summary of all God's done for his people. It kind of reminds them everything he's done for them. And then it tells them how they can be successful in their mission to extend God's kingdom and his goodness, to show the world what God's like. And, you know, we obviously live in a different point in history today, right? Uh, You know, but we live in a perilous world. And we still need to know what life is about, and we still need to know especially how to live it in the way that God intends, that God wants. And so the Bible is that. Deuteronomy in particular is that. It's everything we need to thrive. And so what I want us to see in this passage is that, uh, you know, it's a passage about God's law, his instruction. And I want us to see three things about it. I want us to see the goodness of it, uh, the demand of it and the exclusivity of it. So first of all, the goodness of God's law. Uh, the Bible, this, this passage is saying, like, these are the rules. I mean, this passage gives us, there's a lot of rules in Deuteronomy. It gives us the main one uh, here. It's like, you need that. Like, you need these rules. Uh, the Bible talks every, all over the Old Testament and in parts of the New about, like, you can delight in the law of the Lord, in his instruction. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, sometimes I'm like, what? Like, delight in the laws? Like, what are you talking about? But um, if you understand what God's laws are, then of course you'll delight in them as a human. Uh, Some of you heard my story about the Venus flytrap that I bought for my daughter a couple of years ago for her birthday. Margot, she's seven now and I think it was for her fifth birthday uh, she was in you know what a Venus flytrap is like the plant that can like clamp down on flies and eat them it eats bugs it's awesome and she just like learned about them and she, and she was like this is so cool and I was like yeah of course it's amazing um, and I looked on Amazon and you could buy one so for her birthday that year I bought her a Venus flytrap and it came to me in the mail and it's unlike almost any plant you've ever seen like it doesn't grow in dirt. It, they give you this moss with it, a special kind of moss. And you put it in this like perforated basket and then you pack the moss in and then you pack the, you know, it was like a mature plant and you pack it in there and then you put it in a container of water and it like soaks up the water and then you can only use distilled water. And, you know, they're like, you know, we all the time we ship these to people and they say it didn't like grow right and why? Did you put distilled water? And they're like, no, you have to put distilled water. And the reason why is because the Venus flytrap only grows in the swamps of North and South Carolina. That's it. It's the only place. And that's where this moss is. And you need the right like mineral balance in your water. And, with, and the moss provides that. So you only use distilled water. And if you don't, it will kill it. And like, man, that thing is still like kicking in my house. Like I still have this Venus flytrap plant. 
uh, because I followed the rules exactly that it needed to thrive, okay? A lot of people can give you advice about how to live in this world. Everywhere you go, there's just like advice and rules to live by, uh, but don't take the advice unless you're taking it from someone who knows what a human is and what life is for. If you can't answer those questions, then you can't give good advice to a human about life unless you're very sure about what a human is and what life is for. The first five books of the Bible tell us about that. Tells us about how a human is made by God in his image. And it tells us about how life is about glorifying God and extending his goodness and so many other things. And in this passage, you know, part of the reason it shows us that he gives the laws in verse two, it says that your days may be long. This is how life is meant to be. Uh, Verse three, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply. Remember, their mission is to go and multiply and fill the earth with God's love extending his kingdom of goodness. And so these are instructions for the strength of the mission, for the success of the mission. And it includes blessings and curses. And, you know, all, uh, later on in Deuteronomy, it says, this is what's going to happen. Like, I'll tell you exactly how it's going to go if you obey. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be bad. Um, if, if a few of us went hiking uh, in the fall, over to 50-foot cliff in Mansfield, and uh, we saw poison ivy on the way, um, at the cliff. And if you know, if you've been around me, you know that poison ivy is like the thing I'm afraid of the most in this world. Like, I've gotten bad, like, poison ivy rashes, and so, like, I can point it out, and if, it, if I see it, I'm like, watch out, poison ivy, you know, because I know how bad it is. And so much so that when we were there, Connie, many of you know, she's not here tonight, she was like, oh, that's poison ivy. And she was about to touch it. And I was like, no, don't touch it. Because I hate poison. I hate what it does. Um, that's kind of a picture of what God's doing for his people in this passage when he warns them about all the bad that will befall them if they don't listen to the exact rules and instructions that they need to thrive in his world, on his mission. Uh, So I wonder for you tonight, can you accept that? That there's a God who knows who you are and what life is about and who offers you instruction about how to live. Can you humble yourself to seek out in the word, in the Bible, what is the best way to live and to live by that, even though he has things to say about all of your life? Uh, so, but that's the goodness of the law. Now I want to look now at the demand of the law, which is great. In verses four through nine, it talks about the demand of the law. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Uh, it says, like, you teach your kids about it everywhere you go. Like, when you're walking along, you just, like, teach your kids about God's instruction all the time. Like, put things on your hands, put things on your forehead, whatever you need to do. Like, write it on the doors of your house, on your gates. Immerse yourself in the instruction of the Lord. You know, it's a way of saying, be thinking and talking about God a lot. You need to do that. And what this is, you know, what it's talking about is love. 
Like what you, you dwell on the things that you love. You talk, you know, out about the things you love where your heart is like everything else goes your words, the things you talk about, the things you tell your kids about the things that you write on your doorposts. If you do that. And, you know, for true love, I say a lot, it's not about emotions. It's about commitment. And, you know, if I love someone, if I'm committed to them, then I'll listen to them. If I love them, I'll live for them. That's what love is. So true love for God involves living for him. It involves, in this case, perfect obedience. Uh, to love God is to obey him. And that may, I don't I wonder how that strikes your ears. It sounds a little bit domineering to our ears a little bit, right? To say like to love God is to obey him. But remember the goodness. Like remember the care. Remember the God who says, I know exactly how the best way to live. And so I'm going to tell you. Uh, you know, parents operate the same way. I'm a parent. And, you know, part of the challenge of parenting is telling your kid, you know, like you need to obey. Not because I like like telling you what to do but because i know what's i know more than you what's better what's good Uh, even friendships operate this way good friendships operate this way uh this past week i saw the saturday night live episode with john mulaney as the host anybody a john mulaney fan comedian not so much okay well john mulaney is a comedian he's really funny he's got a lot of funny stories and he was in uh he had a big drug problem in the last few years and was in rehab and stuff. And, and so it was a big deal that he hosted Saturday Night Live again. I think it was for the fifth time because he had had a couple of really rough years. And uh, this is what he said in his monologue at the start of the show. He said, in December of 2020, I went to, a, to dinner at a friend's apartment, but it was not dinner. It was an intervention for me my least favorite kind of intervention. When I walked into my intervention, I knew right away that it was an intervention. Do you know how bad of a drug problem you have to have if when you open a door and see people gathered, your first thought is, this is probably an intervention about my drug problem. I walked in, there were six of my friends in New York in person and six of my friends over Zoom from LA. Okay, right, he walked into a room And including Zoom, there were 12 friends there, and he knew it was an intervention. Because he knew he had a drug problem, and he knew these were his friends. And friends sometimes love you so much that they demand you do something. In this case, 12 of his friends demanded he go to rehab, and he went. God is a friend like that to his people. And in love, he tells his people exactly how to live so that we can continue in relationship with him forever. But to disregard his instruction is not to love him. It's to love something else. Uh, So I want to ask you tonight, do you love him? Do you listen to his instruction about your work and about your relationships and about rest and about sex and about money? Uh, Do you have structures in your life to help you remember it, church, RUF, Bible study, friendships with Christians, uh, all kinds of ways that we can put into our life, uh, ways that we're going to remember what's true, remember what life is about, remember who we are and who God is. 
Um, and that's the demand. It's big. But the, it's given in love. And that's where I want to get into the exclusivity of the law. So the goodness of the law and the demand of the law. But finally, the exclusivity of it. In verse 4, um, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that's called the Shema, because hero, the word here in Hebrew is Shema. And uh, people repeat this. You know, this is the most like, repeated verse in probably the whole Bible around the world. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And that's a way of saying, don't worship any other gods at all. Now, um, Deuteronomy is filled with warnings about worshiping other gods. Like, if you were to read through it over and over again, it's like, you're going to go into a land, you're going to take a land, and there's people already in it, you're going to take it for the Lord, and they worship other gods, and you're going to see what they do, and you're going to want to do it, and don't. Don't do it. And what I want you to, you know, that might sound kind of weird, like worshiping another god, why would I do that? But um, Israel didn't do that, like, right away. They didn't just, like, go show up and totally abandon God right away. But what they did do is kind of like mix some things with the other religions that were in the land. Um, You know, because there were other gods like Baal or Baal and Molech. And uh, these gods, you know, they were like uh, agricultural gods. And so the people of the land would pray to Baal and in hopes that there would be water for the crops. And so what Israel did is not just say like, oh, thanks God, we're here now, we're gonna worship these other gods. But they, what they did do is start to be like, you know what, maybe I will pray to that other God just in case, you know, cause my crops could use the rain. And if it works, then maybe, maybe I should do that. And so uh, very gradually their religion just mixed until uh, it was completely taken over. And they freely worshipped other gods. Um, I want you to think about yourself. You know, us and ourselves. You know, falling away from God doesn't start with saying. You know, most people don't fall away from God by saying, like, you know, I'm done with God. Over. Quick decision. I don't like him anymore. It's gone. It's done. But it usually starts with God losing his place of exclusivity. The one I worship. The one I live for the only one. Uh, and instead it's like, you know, God's great and there's, but there's some other great things in life that I can live for too. Maybe I can live for both. Maybe I can live for God and kind of live for status or career or family. And, you know, it won't be a big deal. I'll still like God's great, but like there's these other things I actually live for too. And the problem is that those other things will gradually take over and suck the life out of you and destroy you. And it will happen gradually, usually. And you may say, like, well, that seems a bit extreme, Lucas. But, uh, you know, the gods in this day did that. Like, to worship Baal, you would often have to cut yourself. And the god Molech demanded that you sacrifice your own children. That is what God's people stepped into. You know, and that may sound extreme, but... If you pick a vision of the good life that's not God's vision, 
It will destroy you. It can happen in all kinds of ways. You know, you just like you start to live for something and then you you're willing to sacrifice anything for it. You're willing to sacrifice your own health to get it, your own sleep to get it, whatever the case may be, your own family to get whatever, your friendships, and it starts to destroy your life. And so for that reason, God doesn't just demand the love of his people, but their loyalty their exclusive love and obedience. So much so that he says, you know, like, don't even, like, entertain the notion of living for anything else besides me because it will not end well for you. And if you were to read through Deuteronomy, the whole book, near the end in chapter 31, uh, God tells Moses uh, that he knows Israel will fail that they will worship other gods once they're in the land that God is bringing them to. And God just says, I know it's going to happen. I know their hearts. And so there's this tension in the book of Deuteronomy, this book, this instruction book, this recap of everything God has taught them on the way into the land, uh, because what will happen when Israel fails, when God's people fail at what he's called them to, when the disaster comes? And the disaster did come big time. Like, it wasn't that long, a few hundred years after this, like, the disaster came. And God's people were, like, laid waste, you know, God's, the promised land was laid waste, and God's people were, like, led into captivity with hooks in their noses. They failed big time, and they worshipped other gods, and that's what happened. And um, so the tension is like, what's going to happen? You know, will God's loyalty, loyalty to his people stand even when they worship the other gods, when they bow to those other gods, when they sacrifice their kids to those other gods, when they get conquered and sent into exile because of their unfaithfulness? Can he still use them for this mission that he set out all the way back in Genesis chapter 3? And that question, that was a question that wasn't answered then and it has been answered now because we live in a time after the true lover has come the true lover is Jesus the true Israelite is Jesus he was the absolutely loyal one the one he, he Jesus lived this He delighted in the law of the Lord. He loved the Lord with his whole heart and soul, mind and strength. He never wavered once in his obedience to the instruction of God, to the law of God. It's interesting, though, because in Deuteronomy chapter 21, a little later than this, uh, there is a lot, you know, there's lists and lists of laws. And you know what one of the laws is? Uh, If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he is put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Here it is saying, it's saying, if there's a man who commits a crime worthy of capital punishment, uh, don't let him hang there too long because that is a cursed man. Jesus hung from a tree. The true Israelite, the true lover, the true, truly loyal one. His life ends hanging from a tree. 
what this, what this book would call a cursed man. He was cursed for you. He was cursed for all of God's people who worship other gods and live for other things and make a mess of their life uh, so that God could live with them forever. And part of the curse on Jesus is that if he takes the curse, then all the blessings are for you. All the promises are for you. All the promises that God will be good to you no matter what you did last year or last month or even today. That's yours. And how could you go through life without any, without any an assurance like that? Knowing that no matter what I've done and no matter what I will do, there's only blessing for me. Not because I'm great, because there was a true lover. And he's alive today. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we pray that you would help us to love your law, to love your instruction, to delight in living life the way that you call us to live, uh, because it's good. I pray that we would make a big deal of Jesus in the ways that he loves us and also enables us to live for you. Gives us the delight in your law that we need uh, when we look at him and his love. Please change us by your love. Uh, Help us to live life the way it was meant to be lived. Uh, Be glorified in our lives and bless our lives, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. All right, guys, let's stand for our last song.